good afternoon, my friends. Welcome back. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician practicing out here in the Chicago land area in the western suburbs. So welcome back, everybody. And I'm excited uh, to introduce the new series for this month. And really, this is kind of a culmination of a lot of thinking, but also t- thinking about what's important out there to us as people as we take care of our families and our loved ones. So this month is my kicking off to the Cancer Sucks series. That's right, hashtag Cancer Sucks. And really what this month is going to be about, it's going to be about uh, me and my, my, my group of experts breaking down cancer. So each week I'm going to be joined by a group of experts, and we're going to talk about a specific cancer. Today's show is actually about colorectal cancer, but again, we want this show to be about awareness. We want it to be about screening. We want it to be about treatment. But more importantly, we want it to be about surviving, survivorship, uh, continuing to do things in this life on this planet with our families and our loved ones, and lastly, not to take your health for granted. So I'm excited to welcome you guys to the Cancer Suck series. This will be the first annual one, uh, and I'm excited to just bring some great content to you guys. So I want to certainly thank our Platinum Level sponsor, Phillips Eye Center, for the show. And again, we're going to talk about some really important topics with cancer, and today in particularly colorectal cancer. Uh, before I introduce my guests and everything, I do want to hit you guys with a quick disclaimer. Uh, so here we go. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So again, welcome back, everybody, to the show. Uh, certainly, we've been thankful to the fans out there who tune in each and every week to listen to us and to listen to our mission about engaging people in healthy behaviors and really giving people that, that chance to take advantage of their health and their well-being. For those that are new to the show, what I do is each week I break down a topic with my group of guests, uh, or guests in today's particular. I've got one guest today. I'm so excited to introduce them to you guys. But, um, but each week we break down a topic. And we want to make sure that people are armed with information so they can make proper health decisions for their family members and their loved ones. Again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. You can check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. You can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My handle is at toyourhealthdrg. So again, we're talking about cancer sucks, and that's going to be the theme for the next month. And cancer really does suck because it in- impacts everyone that we know. Cancer is the number two cause of death in this country. It falls behind uh, cardiovascular disorders. But we're going to break it down, and particularly we're going to break down colorectal cancer. And what I want to do before we kind of get into some more statistics of colorectal cancer, uh, I do want to welcome my guest uh, to the show. So I certainly want to welcome my good friend, Dr. Darren Kasten. And Dr. Kasten and I, we've known each other for a long time, many, many years working together at Edward Hospital. Uh, I know him uh, professionally and personally as well. He's been on the show before. If you guys remember from our sixth episode, we had Dr. Kasten on on our obesity uh, show part two back then. So check that out if you missed that episode. But Dr. Kasten, I wanted him to come back onto the show and talk about colorectal cancer. Dr. Kasten is a board-certified gastroenterologist. He's also board-certified in obesity medicine. He's with the group Suburban Gastroenterology LTD. Check them out at www.sgihealth.com. Dr. Kasten, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me back again. 
Hey, and I'm so excited to have you here. Again, this is an issue that certainly uh, you see on a daily basis uh, as your role as a gastroenterologist, and so I know you can speak, speak volumes and speak from the heart on the impact of colorectal cancer on our communities. So what, what, I, what I want to kind of do, just kind of tell me uh, just a day, what's like a typical day for you uh, when you're dealing with colorectal cancer? I mean, what do you, you know, I'm sure you're doing, you're doing your scopes, you're doing things like that, but what's kind of a typical day in relation to the same, and maybe I could shift back that question up a little bit, how important is colorectal cancer? Well, you know, we got to create that urgency, but how common is it? Well, colorectal cancer is the second cause of death due to cancer in America, so it's very common. Uh, I think the problem is that a lot of patients think that they're supposed to have symptoms or are going to have symptoms, uh, and that they, if they don't have symptoms, that they don't really need to be screened because they're fine. And, and that's really not true because colorectal cancer can be silent uh, and can present as a coincidental finding when they're having just a screening colonoscopy. That's why we do screening exams. Uh, and that's, why it's, that's what's so important. Uh, I think that um, the hardest part of my job is, is diagnosing colon cancer in someone and having to, having to sit down with them and, and, and present that diagnosis to them. But, you know, I always try to make sure to follow that up. Uh, you know, when, when we walk into a patient's room, we've got a plan. And when we tell them that we found that, um, we're grateful. We're grateful that we found it usually in an early enough state where we can intervene so that their quality of life and their longevity is preserved. And I think that's probably the absolutely critical thing. Uh, so there's some reward in that in then knowing that, you know, that, we can, that we can help them. I know, I know my job as a primary care physician, being on the front lines, uh, as an internist, you know, certainly from my end, the, the goal is to make sure that our patients have those age-appropriate cancer screening uh, protocols done. And you mentioned uh, colonoscopy. When we think about cancer prevention, screening is one of the most important things ever. And so we're talking about colonoscopy. And the goal of screening is to find any kind of precancerous lesion, any abnormality, before uh, it can become cancerous. And, and certainly when it comes to, comes to colonoscopies. Uh, why don't you tell me this? Well, you know, how common, or, or, or I should ask you this question, how common is it, um, or what's the best age when somebody should start out with a colonoscopy? And, um, and can you explain a little bit to our audience, what is a colonoscopy? We'll start there first. What is a colonoscopy? Uh, sure. Uh, well, a colonoscopy is, it's an examination of the colon, which is also referred to as the large intestine or the lower intestine. Uh, patients typically uh, go through a... A mild change in their diet the day before a procedure and then generally the night before they have to drink a type of fluid which tends to wash out and clean out the colon and that tends to be the most challenging part of colonoscopy for a patient. Uh, they generally will come in to uh, an endoscopy unit which is an outpatient type of procedure. They don't get, it, they don't get hospitalized even if the procedure is done at the hospital. Uh, they are usually there for maybe an hour or two and the procedure itself takes about 15 to 30 minutes, and it's and they're sedated, they're asleep, so they don't generally remember anything, they don't generally feel anything, and the procedure involves placing a, a camera with a light into the behind and then gradually guiding it around the colon. Um, uh, and I think that that's, you know, the screening times typically are the age of 50 for, uh, for men, white men and women. The African-American population actually sees a higher rate of colon cancer, and as a result of that, we recommend that they're starting at 45. And in fact, 
Just recently, the American Cancer Society actually just suggested that patients all begin screening at 45. Uh, the, the gastroenterology societies haven't quite changed that yet, but they're evaluating that, and they'll make some changes, I imagine, in time. Yeah, I remember that came out just a few weeks ago, as a matter of yeah. fact, with the new recommendation to start at 45. Uh, I want to actually take this down. I'm going to take, take a couple steps back, and I want to break this down to more of a granular level because I don't want to assume that everybody knows what cancer is. We all hear about cancer. Uh, we hear the word and, and the associations of it, and, and, and a lot of times you hear the, you, know, you associate devastation um, in terminal uh, type words with cancer. But let me break down cancer before we get back into some deeper stuff on colorectal cancer. So for those out there, cancer is a term used for diseases in which abnormal cells divide without control. And those abnormal cells, as they divide without control, bypassing your normal checks and balances in your body, uh, those uh, cells can invade other tissues. And we know that cancer cells uh, spread throughout the body through the blood and the lymph systems. And cancer is just not one disease. It's not just like cancer. There's so many different kinds. Uh, it's many diseases. And as a matter of fact, there's over 100 different kinds of cancer. And so when we talk about prevention, yes, uh, you know, out there as a primary care doctor, I say, yes, we've got to make sure you're a certain age, we've got to get certain things done, because we don't want people to succumb from the second most common killer in this country. I don't want them to succumb from heart disease either, too, so we're still working on that. And, and so when I think about, the, about, about prevention, we think about, yes, screening, and I'm going to ask Dr. Cass a little bit more about some of the techniques that are out there for colorectal. Um, vaccines. Vaccines are out there when we think about cancer that help lower risk, and this is not anything to do with colorectal, but you think about HPV vaccine or human papillomavirus vaccine to help prevent most cases of cervical cancer and several other kinds of cancer. Or like the hepatitis B vaccine and you're and being a gastroenterologist helping to lower uh, liver cancer risk. Um, but also, and Dr. Kess and I, I'm sure, will talk a little bit about this too on some of the myths that are out there, but your lifestyle has a role to play. And so I, I know as a, as a gastroenterologist you talked to me and recently board certified in obesity medicine, so I know you're talking about lifestyle a lot when we look at, uh, at a certain percentages of uh, cancers being associated with the overweight and obesity status. So I want to hit everybody with a couple quick stats because I want to talk about the impact of colorectal cancer. Dr. Cassie just kind of alluded to it. Certain populations have very much higher risk of succumbing to it. So I pulled this off of um, the American um, College of Colorectal Surgeons website. So uh, this year, 67,000 new cases of colorectal cancer will be diagnosed in women. Uh, colorectal cancer is the third leading cause of cancer death in women. 62,000 new cases of colorectal cancer will be diagnosed in men. Uh, and then 56,000 people in this country will die from this disease this year. Slightly more than 50% of them will be women. And as, Darren Kasson, uh, as Dr. Kasson alluded to, African Americans certainly at a higher risk. And seeing, even we're seeing a little bit of the more risk in the Latino population, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. Yep. Okay, so exactly. So, so let, let me ask you this. Um, as a, as a primary care doctor, one of the most common things I'm faced with is I say, hey, you're due for a colonoscopy, and then people never get it done, or you see them again a year. What's the problem in delaying that? And what, what kind of barriers are you seeing from your end on why people don't want to go, go through colonoscopy? Is it, is it the prep? <laughs> uh, what kind of barriers are <laughs> yeah. out there? Well, I, you know, I can tell you that uh, patients definitely don't want to do the prep, and when they've done it, they never forget it. Uh, you know, I did the prep, and I added some crystal light to it, and it ruined crystal light for, forever for me. So, <laughs> it's uh, like never again on crystal light. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, it's a challenge. You know, I, I, look, I mean, I think, that the, I think that primary care doctors play an absolutely critical role 
in, in getting patients to come for the colonoscopy. Because when they come to see me, they're seeing me for the first time, but they're seeing the primary care doctors repeatedly. And those, those doctors, you know, the good doctors, and the doctors who are really advocates for colon cancer screening, like you are, for example, uh, you know, really make an effort to, to take that relationship that they have with their patients and make their patients or help their patients understand the importance of it. Um, you know, the reality is that patients are scared. Um, sometimes they just don't want to know. Uh, sometimes they uh, convince themselves that because they're not having any problems and because they're healthy, uh, that they don't need a colonoscopy. Uh, and I think that if, and there are other patients who have difficulties with access, barriers with access, uh, and you know there are other factors too, that there may be uh, uh, some cultural factors because we see patients who have uh, different ethnic backgrounds. Um, but I think that um, in those patients, what we try to do is, is make them understand that any form of screening is better than no form of screening. And there are other screening modalities out there, not just colonoscopy. I like how you say it. Any form of screening is better than no screening at all. And, and, and that gets back to the kind of the quintessential issue of, of prevention. You know, we go into this profession as physicians. We're here to help people. Uh, we're here to hopefully make a difference and help people be, live productive, healthy, and happy lives with their families. Uh, and this is where certainly for me, uh, as a primary care doctor, I say, listen, I want you to be seen by me once a year at the minimum for your physical, and at that time we can go through all this kind of stuff. And it's almost like a checklist, but in all honesty, you have to kind of have that checklist. You know, we want to make sure that your body's not breaking out. I don't want, to, I don't want my patients to have any surprises. That's just kind of maybe my thing. Uh, and so when it comes to colorectal cancer screening, I mean, I push it like crazy. Uh, and, and, and it does get a little bit uh, frustrating at times when I might see somebody back in my office a year later or six months later for another issue, and then I kind of say, hey, you know, uh, Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so, hey, did you ever go get that colonoscopy? And then they say, oh, well, I didn't have time, or I don't want to do that prep, or I hear stories that colon colonoscopies are bad for you. And I go, how is that bad for you? Uh, uh, so, so I'm sure you hear all sorts of stories uh, from people coming in, but, but how do we kind of just break down that barrier even more. I, I just feel like I want to have people to get these kind of things done. I can't force anybody, but you know, I want to get that done. How do you have that conversation? Uh, well, the first thing I do is I, I reassure them that, uh, uh, that colonoscopy isn't bad for them, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, patients, you're right, patients bring stories. They bring all kinds of stories. They, you know, they tell us stories. Well, I heard, you know, my friend had, you know, had something happened, you know, and they didn't, they didn't feel well after the procedure. And, and, you know, we now, you know, every, uh, every, you know, periodically, every year, every so often, you know, we, we reevaluate how we do colonoscopy and we improve our techniques and we improve our ability to detect uh, polyps, which are the abnormal growths that we want to remove before they ever become cancer. Uh, and I think that it's really, it's about education. Uh, and we're not going to capture everybody um, but I think that the more we educate patients on the importance of colon cancer screening, and I, I got to tell you, I mean, colon cancer is one of the most preventable cancers. You I mean, you know, look at all, look at the, look at the, the huge drive that there has been over the years for breast cancer screening, and how, and how, uh, breast cancer detection and death from breast cancer have been reduced over the years because of aggressive efforts at screening. Uh, well, we can do the same thing with colon cancer. There, there just needs to be better awareness and, and uh, more information to the patients. I like how you say, and going back to education, as you mentioned a few moments ago, like, 
trying to get this message out, and I think like a medium like this show is a way to get things out there. You know, if somebody can hear just that one message and that can make that next difference, I think that's important. If I can tell all my patients uh, to get those colonoscopies, if I can do something to get them there, uh, I would love to. And it's interesting from a primary care perspective, uh, I, I have a roster of all my patients uh, that actually are not up to date on screening, at least from what we can gather in electronic medical record. So that gives me a little more of a catalyst to kind of get people in. So I have my step. I say, all right, call Mrs. So-and-so, call Mr. So-and-so, uh, find out if they had their colonoscopy, find out if they were seen, and they fell through on that recommendation to see you, as a matter of fact. And then they'll call in and, and they'll say, no, uh, sorry, Dr. G, uh, uh, the patient wasn't seen, and uh, but they're going to make that appointment soon. And... And I kind of say, hey, that was a year ago when we saw your physical, and now, now time happens. So let me ask you this question. Um, what about, like, uh, say somebody's got some symptoms, and maybe we can talk about this, because sometimes people want to know, hey, if I, if I, have a, I think I might have some concern for colon cancer, what kind of symptoms are you seeing? I know everybody may present a little bit differently, but what's, is there any, like, a classic constellation of symptoms that might suggest an underlying colorectal cancer? Well, I can tell you there's probably no classic constellation of symptoms because colorectal cancer, depending on where it develops, whether it's in the rectum or in different parts of the colon, are going to grow differently and present differently. But what I can say is that what brings a lot of patients in on their own is when they see some blood. When they see some blood either you know, after a bowel movement or on the toilet paper and they're wiping, it usually turns out to be hemorrhoids. Uh, you know, something simple, uh, but uh, that's what brings patients in, and that allows us to have the conversation, to break down that barrier, as you say, uh, to have that conversation about the importance of, of, of colonoscopy. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, our primary care physicians um, make great effort to do some of the other screening tests looking for things like hidden blood in the stool. Uh, which, which will often, if it turns positive, will, will lead to a referral. And that gives some punctuation. The patient feels now that it's become more important. Um, other symptoms can be very nonspecific, maybe mild abdominal pain or maybe, maybe just a change in their bowel pattern. Maybe they're a little constipated or they've noticed a little bit of change in, their, in the way that their, their bowel movement looks uh, compared to what it used to look like. Uh, I will say that uh, that weight loss is always something concerning, but it's not generally typical for colon cancer. Okay. No, that's great for clarifying that. Because you want to see cases of cancer or concerned about, yeah, one of the things that people commonly read about is like, I've got unexplained weight loss, I've got lack of appetite, um, and, and so things like that. So it's not necessarily the case. And that's that a less common symptom with colon cancer. Yeah. So thanks for giving us a little more information on that. Now, I want to go back to the colonoscopy. And again, one of the barriers out there, one of the myths, people say, oh, my gosh, it's going to be painful. And, you know, certainly, again, the barriers, oh, i got to drink that prep. Uh, and, we, and, yes, you, you need to be cleaned out because the last thing you want is having, having, um, having inadequate prep and potentially miss something important. Could you explain expand more of that? If you have, like, a miss, if people may not finish their prep or if there's a poor quality of the prep or maybe they don't drink it at all. Some people just say, well, why do I have to have a prep? I mean, well, you got to be seen, right? You, you want to be able to see anything. What would happen if they didn't do a prep and you were trying to stick a scope up there? Yeah, it would be a mess. Uh, and, that, and that may be the Maybe I should just leave it at that. Uh, you know, over the years, the, the form, the way that we prepare patients for colonoscopy has changed. Um, we used to give them a large amount of fluid that they would have to drink all at one time, and patients had a real difficult time doing that because it was so much volume, and it would make them feel full and nauseated. Now we break that up. They don't, they, they, they don't drink it all at the same time. They split it up, and when they do that, 
they tolerate it better, and it clears their colon better. Um, I will say that colonoscopy isn't painful. Um, that, that really is a misperception. Um, uh, the, the patients are sedated for colonoscopy. They're given a mild sedative. They're not under general anesthesia. They're breathing on their own. And from, you know, from our perspective, they're sleeping. And from their perspective, they're sleeping. They're breathing on their own, and they're comfortable. Sometimes when they wake up after the procedure, they feel a little bit of some gas discomfort. And literally just passing that gas alleviates the discomfort. They can eat and drink normally after their procedure. And generally, it's only that one day of the procedure that we ask them not to drive and to take off of work. The next day, they're back to work and feeling normal. Excellent. Out of curiosity, how long, uh, for people out there that don't know that may have never had a colonoscopy, how long, in kind of a typical case that's unremarkable, of course, how long does a colonoscopy take from the time they get that mild sedative until you're basically done? 15 to 25 minutes. Okay. So that's actually not that bad when we're talking about, Very short. you know, some people may have that misperception that, oh my gosh, I'm going to be there all day long and the procedure's going to take an hour. Uh, and uh, so that's very nice to know that people can get this done in a relatively short amount of, amount of time. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're, the t bulk of the time when they come into an endoscopy unit is the time it takes to register them, to start the IV, to get them changed into a proper gown for the procedure, and then some recovery time afterwards. The procedure itself is generally very short for most patients. Excellent. I want to take a, take a moment right now to acknowledge our Platinum Level sponsor today, Phillips Eye Center. The, the physicians at Phillips Eye Center are committed to providing the highest quality of comprehensive eye care to our patients. They offer a wide range of ophthalmic services, including laser and surgical treatments for many diseases of the eye. Just a few of their services include surgical and medical treatment for glaucoma by our glaucoma specialist, cataract surgery, treatment of diabetic complications, including laser, treatment of macular degeneration, and treatment of dry eye syndrome. Ultimately, their goal is to diagnose, educate, and treat their patients in a respectful manner, surpassing their expectations. Phillips Eye Center has office locations in Naperville and Bolingbrook, Illinois. For more information, call 630-378-4799. Thank you, Dr. Phillips, uh, for your support of this show. So, uh, Dr. Kasten mentioned a little bit earlier that there are some other screening options that are out there, not just colonoscopy, but can you talk about some of the newer technologies that are out there, the newer tests that are out there for screening for colorectal cancer, especially the stuff that we hear about uh, all the time? Sure. Well, the traditional uh, screening tests uh, before any type of procedures themselves were, were just a, a rectal examination and a sample of the stool on a, on a simple card that would just look for uh, microscopic amounts of blood. Uh, and, uh, and that patients would be given those cards and they could actually mail them in uh, and, or, they can, or they could be done in a doctor's office. Um, and that, that's always been the traditional way. The more recent way, there have been a number of different, uh, newer, more sophisticated uh, stool type of tests. Uh, the most recent one that people have heard about, it's actually even been, it was in Forbes magazine, there's uh, an article about Cologuard, which actually was recently in the news. Uh, and that's a, that's a stool DNA test, but also looks for, um, for, uh, for blood as well. Uh, and, you know, these, all of these screening tests, um, these particular stool, and there are other types of stool screening tests that can be done. Um, these all are good screening modalities. They have a false positive rate, and they have a false negative rate. So it's important to understand that 
uh, if a patient uh, is going to not accept any type of screening, they should at least get that. There is a, there is a chance that, that this test may be misleading in some one way or the other, um, but at least that they've had that initial evaluation. Um, there have been other screening, the sigmoidoscopy, which is a small, shorter type of uh, colonoscopy test, um, has largely fallen by the wayside. And that's mostly because we're starting to see, we've started to see polyps growing in the opposite side of the colon that can't be visualized by the shorter Makes colon sense. test. Uh, and then, then there is, some people will read about CT colonography, uh, which, is a, which is a CAT scan, a CT scan, uh, that looks at the colon. Uh, and that has come and gone over the years. Um, it has been dependent on, uh, on different centers doing it different ways. Uh, and the medical evidence has been, uh, has been somewhat sketchy, up and down. Sometimes it supports using it, sometimes it doesn't, mostly because the detection rate is variable. I think I remember when I was a medical student at Loyola, and, and they had kind of, versus this might have been maybe the early 2000s, and I first read about CT colonography, and, and, and I'm just like, they're like, oh, this is going to revolutionize everything, and, you know, you, it's going to be great, and no more of that nasty prep. Uh, and all this kind of stuff, but but you're right. It didn't really pan out too much, and you're not seeing much of that being done at all. I mean, hardly at all. Yeah, yeah that's. I think it's largely because uh, patients actually had to still do a prep initially um, because they weren't sedated for the procedure. Many patients felt that it was more uncomfortable than having a colonoscopy. Okay. Uh, and then more recent, the technology has changed so that you didn't have to do a prep, and they could use uh, software analysis to kind of kind of negate the stool and the colon. But it started to miss polyps. Uh, so, you know, I think CT colonography, even in centers where they were doing a lot of them, has really kind of fallen off. It's still available. And in patients who, you know, who maybe uh, can't tolerate a preparation or who have some anatomy changes such that colonoscopy is difficult and can't be completed, that's an option. Uh, and then a more simple x-ray test, the barium enema, is another option, uh, which is not fun. Um, that's a radiology type of procedure as well. So. well let me ask you a question, because uh, I find this my, find myself in this situation quite quite often. So I'll have some patients that maybe they've already had a colonoscopy, maybe they had some polyps taken out, and then because they're just hearing about new technology, certainly the Cologuard or, or comparable tests, um, they'll say, "Oh, Dr. G, can I can I just um, can I just use the Cologuard?" And I have kind of a hard line stance on that. I say, once you've seen polyps, you I, I don't even let them go down that pathway of potentially doing a stool test. I say, you have polyps, they've been taken out, you will always need a colonoscopy. Now, I, I kind of put it hard like that, but I'm not too sure, is that an option for people that may have had polyps uh, that can, they might be able to go down a stool DNA test or, um, or not? Current guidelines suggest that once a patient has polyps, and there are different types of polyps that form in the colon, so it's really important to talk to your doctor, your gastroenterologist, about what type of polyp was Correct. found, and where was it found, and how big was it? Um, if we're talking about the typical polyps that we look for and remove for, during colonoscopy, once a patient has had polyps, they need to undergo continued colonoscopy for surveillance. What has changed is that there used to be a, a relatively hard-line stance on how frequent that colonoscopy needed to occur once you had polyps. And even if you had polyps on one colonoscopy and came back three or five years later and had no polyps, did you continue to have to go three or five years? And that actually is changing now. If we've seen a patient who maybe had polyps once and then 
the next time they had no polyps and it was a you know five year interval, you know, we may be able to push that to ten years actually again. You know, so that that actually has changed recently. And I think you are kinda of hitting that you hit the head on the nail. Um, we'll get asked that question a bit and I'm sure people that are listening to the show that have had colonoscopies, maybe polyps, they say, Well, when do I get it done? Uh, a lot of times actually I'll ask that question if they come in, I'll say, when did, when did the doctor tell you to come back? And they go, I don't remember. I was uh, coming out of, out of that mild sedative. Uh, go ask my wife or go ask my husband. They were there in the room. But, but, but you bring up a good point on, on how do you, um, how can that happen to know when you need to go back? But I always tell, this, tell my patients, this is important that you establish a good relationship with your gastroenterologist so you can get the answer right from that person. Uh, as a private care doctor, certainly I can read the notes, but, but I'm certainly counting on, on you guys to continue to keep this conversation going on. And now with the age of medical technology and electronic medical records and uh, secure messaging, it, it really isn't a problem. I, I really make an effort to tell my patients, if you have a question, call me, send me a message through the electronic record. You know, And I think some patients find that as medical practices get larger, sometimes it, there is a barrier to actually reaching your doctor. Uh, and that becomes more challenging. Fortunately, with the electronic records, now they can just send me a message directly. Uh, and that actually has been great, uh, because then they, then they can just ask away. And I really I agree with you. Like primary care doctors who always open their doors and make sure that patients have access to them, we need to do the same thing. Just because we practice a specialty doesn't mean that we should be less accessible. We should be just as accessible. Excellent. I want to talk a little bit about some of the dietary stuff. So there's some things that are out there, and some people will, will say certain foods may, may, may cause colorectal cancer, certain foods may not cause colorectal cancer. You know, I've always been under the impression that, yes, we want to have that healthy lifestyle, your, 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 your low-fat, um, not that pro-inflammatory pro type foods, you know, less red meat, things like that, eating more fruits and veggies. Uh, and, and not only from just the just general health benefits of that, I always look at that to my patients and they say, well, how can I prevent this? Are there any kind of, tech, uh, any kind of food sources that you advise your patients on what they can do, what can they do to help lower their risk for colorectal cancer? It's a great question. Um, I don't think that I can tell you very specific food or food groups, uh, dietary habit to practice in that manner. But what I can say is exactly what you were saying, and that is a high-fiber diet, low cholesterol, low fat diet, that actually has, there is evidence to support that that type of diet reduces risk for colon cancer. Uh, and other lifestyle modifications, exercise, increased exercise, yeah. no smoking, yeah. you know, uh, 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 alcohol in yes. moderation, uh, and, and weight reduction, uh, all of those factors actually play into, into reduction of not just colorectal cancer, but, but general cancers, all kinds of malignancies. Yeah, it's interesting on the obesity aspect. I was looking at some research prepping for the show, and uh, we talked about obesity and overweight status are associated with at least 13 different types of cancer. And I opened the show saying we had there's over 100 different kinds of cancer, but um, but the, but obesity of the 13 different types of cancer that are associated with obesity and overweight status, those cancers actually make up those 13 make up 40 percent of all cancers diagnosed. So we really have to stress the importance of lifestyle. I want to change topics a little bit. I want to get into a little myth versus fact. And this is something that I, that, that I think with this kind of topic, we're talking about uh, cancer sucks, and we're breaking down colorectal cancer. And by the way, I want to give a quick shout out to my good friend Dana, uh, uh, Miss Dana Davenport, who uh, hosts the show on the same station. Uh, I was on her show actually back in March. Uh, uh, this year, and we did a show, Q 
cancer stuff. So I want to just make sure I acknowledge Dana for, for letting me um, talk to her more about this idea and certainly allow me to let her coin, let me use the term that she coined on cancer sucks. But I want to uh, go ahead and do myths versus facts. And I think it's important right now to break down some of the, mis, uh, the misinformation out there. So I'm going to ask you some questions, Dr. Cass, and put you on the spot um, before we close on down and everything. But so here we go. Myth versus fact. I'm putting you on the spot. Love it. All right. Here's the first statement. There is nothing, and you'll answer myth or fact. Okay. There, there is nothing I can do about getting colorectal cancer. Myth or fact? Well, that, that, is, a, that is somewhat of a myth and somewhat of a fact. <laughs> I, remember, uh, you know, lifestyle modifications and, and, uh, and proper exercise and weight management uh, and, uh, and good healthy living, that actually can reduce risk for colon cancer. Thank you. I 100% agree on this one. All right, here's a second statement. Colorectal cancer is fatal. Well, that's most certainly a myth. In fact, the majority of times we actually diagnose colorectal cancer at an early enough stage that we can actually that we can actually prevent death at all, and that's the whole purpose of screening. So, absolutely a myth. And I think about uh, what you were saying earlier about if you see a polyp, you do a colonoscopy, you see a polyp, you take up the polyp, and knowing that most polyps uh, will lead to lead to colorectal cancer, there goes your risk out the door. Yep. Uh, go from there. All right. Next statement here. Uh, myth or fact? <laughs> Screening, screening is only necessary for individuals who have symptoms. Well, you're, you're baiting me on this one. Yeah, so uh, clearly that's a myth. Uh, <laughs> patients should have, you know, the, the screening protocols and the screening guidelines were not developed based on patient symptoms. They were developed based on when statistical populations of patients start to develop cancer risk. Excellent. Next one here, next statement. We'll do a few more of these. Only people with a family history of colon cancer get it. Uh, that's definitely a myth. Certainly a family history of colon cancer, depending on that family history, uh, certainly warrants colon cancer screening and colonoscopy. But the majority of patients who even develop polyps in the colon occur randomly. So, so absolutely not. Yeah. And I say, and then certainly, and you uh, said it a little bit earlier, certainly there, if there's a family history of colorectal cancer, that person needs to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. All right. Uh, here's the next myth versus fact. Um, here's a statement. I can't get colon cancer before I turn 50. Definitely a myth. I mean, as we said already, uh, the American Cancer Society yeah. has uh, suggested that colon cancer screening should start at an age less than 50, at 45. And certainly patients who have uh, genetic risk um, are at risk for getting colon cancer at much early age, at much earlier ages. Okay, we'll do two more of these. I'd like this myth versus yeah, fact session. That's it. all good. Uh, you notice how they're all myths, yeah. by the way. <laughs> this, is a, this is a foolproof effort to make sure we're giving everybody the right information. Uh, so here we go. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling at the statement that I'm about to read, read to you. Here we go. I think we hopefully answered this question. Colonoscopy is a difficult procedure to undergo and is painful. Definitely a myth. Colonoscopy generally is not painful for the vast majority of patients, and the pain that some patients may experience typically is a little bit of gas pain after the procedure. All right. And here's the last myth versus fact question, and I think uh, a myth versus fact statement, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be a myth, but I'm just throwing it out there. We'll find out. Once you are diagnosed with colon cancer, it is too late to do anything about it. Definitely a myth. 
In fact, the most important reason to get screened is in order to find colon cancer if it's present at an early enough stage so it can be intervened on. And the vast majority of patients, we manage them, and these patients have a long, healthy life. Excellent. So we got a, just a few minutes left, about five minutes left, and, and what I want to do is kind of uh, certainly kind of close, close things down. I think this is a very discuss good discussion because we're talking about, again, cancer sucks. And we're talking about colorectal cancer, which, again, the second leading cause of cancer death when you combine men and women in this country, but it doesn't have to be. And, and so we're talking about just breaking down some barriers that are out there, getting people access and getting people information, the correct information. So I want to ask you this, and maybe you could kind of uh, summarize things up for me, Dr. Kasson. If you had to kind of look at a few take-home points to people out there that listen to the show or they listen on radio or watch us on Facebook Live and they're, and they're saying, what, what should somebody take away from hearing us talk? I've, by the way, I love this conversation with you. Uh, you know, we can probably keep going on, but, but what are some things that are out there? What should somebody who's listening to us talk, talking about today, what can they do starting today or starting tomorrow when it comes to colorectal cancer, whether it's like with a loved one or themselves or a family member, what, what, what can we do? What does it take on Well, points? aside from the healthy lifestyle uh, changes that, that I think are, are invaluable, uh, I think that the most important thing is, is this, type of, this type of dialogue. Um, uh, patients should hear this. Reach out to your doctors. Ask your doctors questions uh, and, and ask them whether or not they're an appropriate person, and you know, as a patient. Um, and I think that, that, that um, uh, patients should discuss that with their family, and I think that they ought to, um, they ought to, they have to try and get through the, the fear and the myths, which hopefully we've been able to dispel some of them today. Uh, and that becomes important. After that, uh, you know, getting to the doctor's office isn't the hard part. You know, we can get these patients in. We can see these patients. You know, so we just need to we just need to know that they're that they're aware and talking and talking about it. Excellent. And my final thoughts are this: If you are concerned about colon cancer, or if you have a strong family history of colorectal cancer, again, talk with your doctor. Talk to me. Talk to uh, physicians like Dr. Kasten. Talk to somebody and ask. You know, what should you do? Remember, I want people to talk about colorectal cancer awareness and cancer in general. So don't be afraid. Have this conversation every day. Don't be afraid to talk about cancer risk or cancer prevention with your doctor. And, and I think as you do that, you'll break down barriers, you'll feel more comfortable about things, and you'll be able to continue to stay on this pathway towards healthy living. So what I want to do right now, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Darren Kasten, board-certified gastroenterologist, as well board-certified obesity medicine expert with suburban gastroenterology. Check them out at www.sgihealth.com. I want to thank my platinum-level sponsor, Phillips Eye Center. Thank you again so much. Uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. We're going to be doing Cancer Suck Series Part 2. We're going to be talking about breast cancer. Remember, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Until next time, see you next week, and peace out. <laughs>